It makes me so happy that everyone is so joyful here at Maranatha, and there's a lot to celebrate. There really is. There's uh, some, some wonderful things that are happening uh, in the midst of some, some difficulty and things, but some wonderful things are happening. Pastor Dave and Rachel had their baby on Friday. Amen. Uh, I, I, I want to share the name. I don't know if I'm allowed, so I'm not going to, um, but it's a great name, just so you know. Uh, also, uh, uh, gosh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this either, but uh, Jared and Kaylin just got engaged uh, this last week. Yeah. So, yeah, congratulations to you guys. Uh, hope it wasn't a secret. Um, I don't think it was. Uh, we also have community groups uh, throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's really where the life of the church is experienced. So if you're not in a group, please get in a group. There's information on our website. You can email the leaders of those nights that might work best for you. Reach out to them, find out uh, what's going on in those groups and how you can be a part of those things. We also have baby dedications coming up on July 25th. So although it seems like a month and a half away, uh, that will come up on us really quickly. So all you parents who have children who you would like to have dedicated here who are members, um, we would love for you to do that. So uh, reach out to Hannah. You can talk to myself also. I can get you where you need to go uh, so we can get you on the list, so we can get you the information that we would like you to fill out and so we can uh, understand some of the circumstances and also um, there's sort of a, a bit of a process. So uh, please let Hannah know, uh, hannah.mccarthy at uh, maranathohio.com. You can email her or talk to her, of course, here at the gathering. So uh, if you would, let me pray for us and then we'll sort of, we'll, we'll get into it before we, we get, really get rolling. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for uh, all the, the, the wonderful things that you do for us. Thank you for uh, uh, marriage. Thank you for babies. We also thank you, Lord, that you walk with us in our sorrows, that you walk with us in the difficulty that we have, that we face this broken world together, Lord. You are so good and you are so uh, perfect and righteous and holy and comforting and peaceable, Lord. You, uh, you know each and every one of us and everything that we're going through, and although... Um, we face difficulties, we can celebrate and we can rejoice because of your goodness, Lord. We love you so much, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Another thing that we're celebrating today is obviously baptisms. Once again, we had baptisms last week. We have two more baptisms at the 11 o'clock, so uh, if you come back, you can uh, be a part of that as well. Uh, Skylar and Devin McNeely are going to be beginning baptized. John Pullen's uh, nephews are, are doing that. John has been working with them for a while, and they, became, uh, they were saved uh, about a month or two ago. It's a pretty fancy and special time for us here at Maranatha, having baptisms uh, back-to-back weeks. So, um, hello and welcome. Uh, glad that you're here today again, worshiping Christ with us. We're beginning a brand new sermon series. Uh, it's not up there. Brand new sermon series uh, in uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus. Uh, this man, Titus, who this letter is actually named after, was likely saved in the midst of the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. He was uh, Greek. Therefore, he was actually considered a Gentile follower of Christ. Titus was faithful and wise, and he was diligent as he learned the ministry from the Apostle Paul. And Paul then utilized those gifts and Titus's willingness on multiple occasions to serve multiple churches who needed some oversight and who needed some assistance to do what they were called to do, which is why this letter, Titus, that we're about to study for the next uh, extra five weeks, six weeks in total. This is why this letter is really Paul's instruction or Paul's teaching for how we, the church, should be ordered, how we should order ourselves and our households, as well as how God is bringing to order a new people 
for his glory. All right, so today we're going to be in Titus uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're just going to carry through four verses. So if you would, while I'm talking and sort of giving you this introduction, you can open your Bibles to Titus 1, verses 1 through 4. It's uh, right after First and Second Timothy and uh, 2 chapters or two books right before Hebrews, if you're paging through. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, that's page 938. Um, so yeah, let me just give you this sort of introduction of the, uh, the context and the culture of the people to which Titus was called to minister to. Now, this letter to Titus was sent to him while he was in a place called Crete. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, which, was, uh, which made Crete very accessible to ships and also then very accessible uh, for commerce and all sorts of opportunity and availability for this island then uh, was possible because it brought people in from really all over the area, which is why Paul the Apostle saw it as vital and a very strategic location for the mission of the gospel. But the people of Crete weren't really known as good People. Paul even later on quotes in chapter 1, verse 12, he actually quotes one of their own prophets named Epimenides, and he says of his own people, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Not really the nicest thing to say about your own people, is it? But Paul then, in fact, right after he says that, he, he says that this testimony is true. So apparently it was. You see, the people of Crete were in fact living these misinformed lives because they were apparently mixing their ideas about Greek mythology with the truth that had already been preached to them about Jesus Christ, as well some were trying to infuse Jewish law into the gospel of grace, while others were using that same promise of grace as a license for their own ungodliness. So you can see really how, um, to make a long story short, the people of Crete were theologically and doctrinally just messed up. They were just messed up, which is why Titus was tasked with bringing order to this church so that the word of God's truth could be rightly taught and seen through the church's devotion to Jesus and their commitment for the overall good of the people. Titus was there to provide the local churches with helpful encouragement through the ordering of right doctrine with which they were able to be witnessed through their efforts of good deeds. So very clearly, we're talking about right doctrine that leads to good deed. Now, let's get into our text for today. So if you would, please stand with me in reverence for God's Word. I'll read Titus 1, 1 through 4. It's going to be up on the screen if you didn't happen to get there. It says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before all the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we are grateful again for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you speak to us on a daily basis through what's been revealed already. Lord, help us to have a thirst for going and, and studying and, and dissecting the scriptures so we can learn more about Christ. Because the more we know of you, the greater love we will have of you and for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being so gracious to give us your spirit that dwells in us, to you have eyes to see and ears to hear this truth. Please bring about worship in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Okay, so these four verses really simply serve as an introduction of the writer, which again is the Apostle Paul, and then gives us the purpose of the whole letter, and then there's this salutation or uh, a hello to Titus, uh, Paul's uh, son in the faith. Now, I'm going to spend most of my time on that middle part, on the, on the purpose of the letter, but I do first want to talk about Paul uh, just briefly, because in all of Paul's letter that we have in the Bible, he always says two things. He identifies himself as an apostle, uh, and then he exhorts those who read his letters with the words grace and peace. So he, he, he informs everyone that I am an apostle. He's speaking from authority, and then he uh, exhorts them. He encourages them. He presses them with the words grace and peace. You see, Paul's apostleship, and the reason why he identifies himself every time is because Paul's apostleship was not self-administered. Right? He didn't choose this for himself, and we know this because biblical apostleship was a very serious and a very specific office. This office was only given to specific men who lived and served under the divine authority of Christ for a specific purpose. All right, And it wasn't, nor is it, something that uh, we can work towards or we can graduate into. It's not something that Paul could have achieved on his own because to be an apostle in the way that uh, Paul was an apostle, three things had to happen. One, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Two, you had to have been personally appointed by Christ. And then three, you had to possess the given ability and authority to teach or write about the special revelation passed down from Christ. Right? So three very specific things. Right? You had to be an eyewitness, you had to be appointed, and you had to have that authority and ability to communicate Christ's special revelation. So hopefully you can see and hopefully you understand with those distinctions why there are no more proper apostles today. Right? Because we already have the full counsel of God's word and Christ sat down on the throne, meaning in part that this particular act of revelation is complete. Right? We, we don't need any more scripture to be given to us. But Paul did teach, Paul did speak, and Paul did write with that proper authority behind him, which is why he rightly identified himself as an apostle as well. Paul didn't see this as a way to gain power or to attain status over the church, right? He wasn't uh, claiming to be an apostle so he could be in hierarchy over them. Rather, he understood that the position of apostle, like all the positions that we hold as God's people, was a position of service to God, for God. It was a position of servanthood. He even referred to himself as a servant of God. He did it right there in the beginning. Other translations say uh, he is a slave of God. Paul realized that he had been bought with a price, right? This is in the scriptures. We say this all the time at Maranatha, that we are bought with a price, and Paul understood that. He was bought with a price, and that payment for his life was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, just like it was for us. His life was purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he no longer belonged to himself. He didn't belong to himself. In fact, since he didn't belong to himself, he only lived for one person. And who was that? It was God. 
He lived for God. He didn't belong to himself, so he lived only for God. And in his letter to the Philippians, Paul really goes back and forth. He's sort of challenged by this reality of living in this world or desiring to be with Christ. One minute, he's hoping to gain death so he can go and be with Christ. And in the very next sentence, he willingly goes on living just in hopes that he can produce a life that is fruitful for the honor and glory of his Savior. He lived with that struggle of desiring to be with Christ, but recognizing there's a purpose for him to live. Now, we might not be apostles, but we are all chosen to live this life with purpose. We are all given a purpose in this life by Christ, again, as we too are purchased by his blood. Amen? We can realize that and walk into that tension. Paul said that his apostleship, his apostleship exists for a purpose, which is also the purpose of this letter. Verse 1, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. We have doctrine and deed there. Paul's ministry, which he was passing on to Titus, which he really had, had passed on to Titus, was governed simply and only by God's word. Everything that Paul's office existed for, everything that he did was to communicate the truth of Jesus Christ so that the chosen people of God would possess saving faith, which would be exemplified through godly living. Again, doctrine and deed. So let me make clear what I'm trying to say. Let me, let me sort of reiterate the two things that are going on here. One, there is the teaching and preaching of God's truth as a way to bring about faith in God's elect. And two, there is the building up of those who do believe so that they might grow in sanctification based on that knowledge of truth. Right? So the preaching of God's truth is to bring about saving faith in people. And then once someone is saved, that continued preaching and knowledge of the truth is meant to bring us into uh, sanctification or into good deeds and, and the way of godliness. Now, I think there's a point here that we need uh, to make. There's a point here as we look at the rest of Titus that will come about because sadly, uh, through Paul's explanation and what's going on here in Crete, again, what we're going to learn more about through this sermon series over the next five weeks, we can see that there are people there in those churches who are professing to know Christ, but they're not actually following after Christ. They profess to know Christ, but they're not actually with their life following after Christ. You see, there is this kind of person, according to Paul in 2 Timothy 3.7, who is always learning, who is always learning, but never actually able to arrive at a knowledge of truth that saves them. You can continually try to acquire knowledge and understanding of who Christ is or what Scripture is revealing. You're looking for secret uh, avenues of truth in the Bible, but you can acquire all of this knowledge, but you actually aren't actually arriving at the truth that saves. It's sort of like how age doesn't always equal maturity, right? We've all met someone like that. Age doesn't always equal maturity. Therefore, information about Jesus doesn't always equate the saving faith in Jesus. Amen. It's hard, though. Now, if that makes you wonder, as I, as I say that, that information doesn't always equate to salvation, if that makes you wonder, well, then how do we know if someone that we love, or maybe even yourself, how do we know that we possess that proper kind of saving 
faith. We'll simply just take the two elements and put them together. Take this idea of doctrine and deed. Paul says that when a person possesses salvation in Christ, she has a desire or an appetite to know the truth, which causes her to want to be more mature according to the godliness that she's learning about. Are you with me? There is this appetite for truth that causes her to live in a certain way. Verse 2, in hope for eternal life. There is this way of attaining knowledge, of understanding more about Christ, to develop a love for Christ, to live for Christ. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. This is the truth about God's sovereignty. This is the truth about God foreordaining, understanding what was actually how it was going to play out. Now, the word hope here, the word hope in our day, just like the word love sort of has lost its meaning, right? We say that we love all sorts of things, and if we love everything, how in the world do we differentiate our emotions for anything, right? We love uh, for our team to win this weekend or whatever weekend it is, right? Football season. We would love for our team to win. We would love for it to have nice weather tomorrow. I'm supposed to play golf tomorrow. I would love for there to be great weather, and I would love, or we, we, we'd love it if, if there wasn't to be this, um, this, this, this hardship that we face, including we hope for things all the time, right? We, we hope that our team wins. We hope that it's good weather. We hope that there isn't an accident on the way home. We hope that somebody who was in that accident is okay. Well, this kind of hope that we're leaning into, that we're hoping for, really is based in uncertainty, and therefore so are our emotions. If we're leading into this reality of hope, where we're hoping in all sorts of things that are uncertain, our emotions will uh, naturally uh, culminate and be uncertain. But the kind of hope that Paul is talking about, the kind of hope that we have for eternal life in Christ, which is founded on God's promise, is absolutely definite, Right? Amen. It is absolutely definite. There is no uncertainty in the hope that we have in Christ. No uncertainty because it's based in Him. It's based in His character. Because God not only will not lie, He cannot lie. He not just won't lie, He cannot lie. If He were to lie, then He would cease to be good He would cease to be righteous. He would cease to be uh, uh, just. He would cease to be perfect. And subsequently, he would then no longer be God. Are you with me? That is why he cannot lie. He cannot lie. Our assurance of salvation and our hope for eternal life and everything that goes along with it is affirmed and unalterably guaranteed by God's own word, which he promised to himself before time even began. It's based in his character. It's based in his nature. Verse 3, And at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. You see, everything that that Paul is instructing Titus to accomplish for the church in Crete is founded upon the manifested word of God. We know who that is. We know the manifested word of God. It is Jesus the Christ, right? It is the son of the living God. Everything that Titus is about to do for the church there in Crete comes from God's sovereign mission that is revealed through Christ's preaching and teaching and revealed word. 
right? Everything we have, everything we need is right here in Scripture. Everything we need to understand salvation, to to recognize and possess the assurance of eternal life. And because Christ is the one who builds his church, he is the one who brings about salvation, this letter, this, uh, this letter to Titus could be easily described as the handbook for faithful church planting, Right? We're, uh, we're about four years here in September. This book of Titus could be sort of the handbook of faithful church planning because it shows us how a church can actually survive and thrive for the glory of God. This is a wonderful book. A wonderful book about, again, doctrine, so right theology leading to practice of our good deeds. It's a wonderful book to show us how to order the church, order our lives, order our households, And that is the purpose of this letter. So Paul ends this introduction like this. This is what he says to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now in the broader definition, as we think about the universal church and all the different churches that are out there, in the broader definition of the church, there really are all kinds of labels and positional offices that men and women possess. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, we all possess saving faith. We all share in a common salvation. We all share in a common salvation because it's founded in Christ. And therefore, we are a common people who serve a great and sovereign king together. We share in this common salvation, this common faith that Paul is saying to Titus that they share in. We share in this common faith. We all can grasp hold. We talk about all the good things that are going on, the joy that we were experiencing at the time of the Passion and the Peace. There's also great difficulty going on here at Maranatha that we know about and we're all praying for. But truly, we all can grasp with confidence what has been secured by Christ on our behalf. We can hold close. We can wrap our arms around it because Christ has provided it for us. Christ has provided real grace and true peace for us. Real grace and true peace. Grace that is one, grace is that wondrous gift of God that not only provides us with new life, but also the ability to live for the one who gave us new life. And this peace that we're talking about is our wondrous blessing that he gives to us, us who have been uh, liberated from a life that was lost in darkness, a hope that we can learn and grow and enjoy. And I hope that's what happens in the next five weeks of Titus. I hope that we learn and we grow and we enjoy uh, as we continue to walk through this letter written to this man who is just trying to live out his faith, faithfully serving and being unified to the church. I hope that you'll see how God's grace is meant to inspire you to live for godliness. Be a witness with your life to who Jesus Christ actually is and how our given salvation should inspire us to serve others. It's not just about you. It is about others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because once you truly understand how God's love for you began truly in eternity past, and how his desire for your salvation continues to carry you through to eternity future, then all of this 
will be easier. You won't desire to do anything more than to love him and to serve him. Once you grasp that, once you grasp you've been chosen from eternity past and that he will carry you through to eternity future, you will do nothing else. It will be so much easier to just love him and serve him. And those who understand what I'm talking about, we don't do it out of obligation. We do it out of gratitude and affection for our king. Gratitude and affection for our Lord. Gratitude and affection for our Savior, the one who has purchased our life for us with his blood on the cross. We are no longer slaves to sin. Rather, we are a slave to righteousness. We can choose good. We can choose to do right because we are servants of God. Jesus saved us to serve him, and he saved us so we can enjoy him. That is the blessing of the gospel. Now I'm going to end with this last charge from the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, 13. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Remember, hope that is assured. It is definite because it comes from the nature of God. If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your peace. Thank you for the mercy of salvation, Lord. Help us to leave today worshiping you. Help us as we walk this life through Monday through Saturday to remember that we walk in deed and doctrine. Help us to recognize and and, and thirst for your word so we can understand who your son is deeper and more every single day. Thank you for communicating to us. Thank you for your spirit that dwells in us, that gives us those eyes and ears to be able to receive your son. Pray for Skylar and Devin as they're preparing to be baptized today. Grateful for new life, Lord. Grateful that you've extended your kingdom and you build your church as you promise you will. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.